so we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Good morning, church. I I appreciate you all joining us again this week as we take a look into the scriptures. And we're going to be again in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 as we get started this morning. So go ahead and grab your Bibles and, and turn there. But before we get started, this week is actually our high school camp week. And this is the week where our students are coming together and they get to spend time around God's Word. This week, they're going to be looking at some of the parables that Jesus gave in the Gospels. And they're going to look at them in a very practical sense as they learn how to live Jesus and to follow Jesus in this world. So we as a church need to remember our students this week. We need to spend time praying for them and keeping them before God, that God would speak to them and, and, and just incorporate into their lives the gospel and how it impacts them. So let's take a moment and let's pray for our students this week as we get ready to open up God's word and see what he has to say for, to us. So let's pray. Father God, we just come before you this morning. God, we pray for our students this week. Father, we know that our students are so important to you, that each of us are are valuable, and each of us, God, are important to you, and your heart for our students is undeniable. And so, Father, this morning as we open up this time, as we pray, we pray specifically for our our students this week as they spend time in God's Word. They're going to do some fun things together, but God, as they hear what Jesus had to share in the parables and see the practical implications of, of God's truth in their, in their daily lives. I pray, God, your spirit would move among them, enlighten them. Father, that they would know of your grace, of your mercy, of the salvation that you provided through your son, Jesus Christ, and that, Father, they would know the power of the gospel in their lives. And that, Father, you would just use the uh, Jared, our student pastor, as well as our student leaders in the lives of our youth this week, to really invest in them, to show of your love and your concern that they might grow in Christ. As well, Father, we just pray for our time as we open up your word and as we look again in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that, Lord, you would speak to our hearts right where we are, every, everywhere that we might be online, Father. I pray that you would speak to us, your spirit would move. You would grow us, Father, in your Son. That, Father, you would go past all of my inabilities, my shortcomings, my own sins, my own, my own iniquities, God, that you would go past them to speak to us, your people, that we might learn of your gospel and its impact in our lives in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So, Father, we ask these things, believing and trusting. It's in your Son's name we pray. Amen. So this morning, we will continue our study on 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And last week, we looked at, if you remember the symbols, we looked at the tent. We realized this tent is temporary, that God has something better for us. He has that resurrection body that we long for, we look for, we groan for. There's an intense striving to see God come, that Jesus would be revealed and we'll be revealed with Him in glory. We long for that day. So we have the tent that represented that. That was 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Well, this week we're going to be looking at glasses because when we're made new in Christ, we have a, a different vision, a new vision, 
a new perspective that we can clearly see. I remember one of the most uh, popular hymns of all time is Amazing Grace, written by John Newton. And the words go, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, and what? Now I see. That's, that, that phrase is just a radical transformation of the gospel in our lives, that when we receive Christ into our lives, that there's a radical transformation, that I was going about in this world kind of only concerned about my own self and my own ways and my own thoughts and my own needs. And it was like, it was like the, the curtains being spread open and, and the sun comes shining in and it's like, bam, a new life began and, and the result of faith and, and there was the gospel that had the major impact on my life. So now it wasn't just that I could see the physical, but I could begin to see the work of God in my life. I could begin to see the Holy Spirit and how he was moving me and, and teaching me and enlightening me and teaching me his word. And it, it began a whole new life. Oh, it was one of the, it was the greatest moment in my life that when I, when I prayed in that day, I still remember as a young, young boy, I prayed and received Christ into my life. I've never forgotten that. I was never the same after that. Oh, I had moments of, of difficulty and struggle and defeat, but God has always lifted me up by His grace and His mercy. He's always sustained me and kept me. And now as a result of what God has done, it's not just that I can see the things physically, I begin to see things spiritually. It's a description of the power of the gospel in our lives. And it's so amazing. In fact, the big idea today of what we're kind of talking about in this, in this section of Scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 through 10, is that when we're made new, I can see. I can see. It means that there's a new life, a new vision, a new perspective. And when you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and you look at verse 7, it says that we walk by faith, and not by sight. In fact, that verse, that phrase is really kind of the central point of this passage. It's, it's the hub. Everything else that's kind of being talked about is kind of coming off of that idea of that we walk by faith and not by sight. And the reality of it is, is that the power of that statement is the reality that if I walk only by sight, it leads to death. That physical sight alone is not enough to save us. That we need the, the gospel, we need the power of God that transforms us and enlightens us and allows us to begin to see things in, a, in the way in which God is working in this world in this time. I this morning brought a pair of glasses this morning. They're, they're kind of look like dark, kind of like sunglasses, and they're kind of unique but they're unique in that, if you can see, there's a bunch of little holes. In fact, I have a, a slide so you can see it better. There's all these little holes. And what's amazing is, is I can look at my, at my Bible right now, and without my glasses, it's kind of it's blurry. But when I put these on, it kind of brings it into focus, and I can begin to read and make out the, the words. It's, a, it's amazing. It's a, these are training glasses. Actually, if I do it like 30 minutes a day, it begins to strengthen my eyes. And what's amazing is that it gives me a different 
look, a different vision, a different way of seeing things. And what happens is, is when, we, when we receive Christ into our life, when we respond to the gospel and we have new life, we begin to see things clearly and the intent for which we have been created and the purpose for which God has for us. When we're born again, we receive spiritual insight and we see the impact of Jesus in our lives, the impact of Jesus in, in the lives of others. But what that does also, what it also means is that people without Christ that are not born again, they might hear, but they don't really understand. They might see, but they really don't perceive. Isaiah prophesied of this in Isaiah chapter 6 and prophesied of, of people who were stuck in unbelief. And Jesus quoted him in the book of Matthew, and it goes like this. It says, And you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. They are hearing and they are seeing, but they're not perceiving that which uh, the gospel does. They're not perceiving what God is doing in their lives. I was trying to come up with another way to just describe this. And so I went and found a, a video online. And in this video, you can kind of see we're at like a, a brick wall here, just to that point. And you can, you can see there's some mortar missing and there's some cracks in the brick. It may not be a very stable wall. I mean, just if I'm looking at this, it's, it seems like I'm just a couple of feet away from this wall and it looks like it's in need of repair. But when I really take a look and I begin to really expand out, I begin to see, well, it's not just a wall. It's a, it's a cylinder. Well, no, it's a smokestack. No, what is, what? And it continues to go back and it goes back further. And as I get the whole picture of the video, I begin to realize there's so much more out there. There's the mountain ranges and there's these buildings and there's, there's all of this activity that's going on. You can even down in here see where there's a road going on and the trees and there's homes. You begin to see the whole picture clearly. And it's the same idea that when we only look by sight, we have a very limited view of understanding of what's going on. But when we receive Christ into our lives and the gospel changes us, we are now able to begin to see what God's doing in his ultimate plan for our lives, his purpose for our lives, the things that God's wanting to do. Why did he give us gifts to, to serve him? Why did he, why did he empower us that we might put on the, the righteousness of Christ? Why did he give us the fruits of righteousness and, and the fruits of the spirit that we might live Christ in this world? We begin to understand those things from a spiritual perspective. If we only look at the physical, we lose sight. It's kind of like looking at this stack in the middle of this picture and we saw the cracks, but we didn't see the whole plan. We didn't see the whole picture. And that's what spiritual vision does. That's what Paul is talking about here, that when we're made new, it means I can see. And when I can see, I will always find courage. I will always find courage when I see clearly. If you will, look there, if you will, in chapter 5 and verse 6, he, Paul says, so we are always of good courage. I love that phrase. That word there, so, is, is a conjunction. And when you're in when you're doing Bible study, you've got to pay attention to these conjunctions because they're connecting passages, they're connecting ideas. And in this situation, the word so is, is presenting one argument and the idea in which it's 
leading into another argument of truth. So there's these two truths that he's giving and he's connecting them by this conjunction. So when he says here in verse six, so he is tying verses six through 10 with verses one through five of this chapter. So Paul is saying, hey, because we know that God has prepared these things for us in the previous section in verses one through five, that he's prepared a life, that death is swallowed up by life, that this tent is temporary. His Holy Spirit has been given to us and it's a guarantee that there is a house that God has built for us. And all of these things are temporary. So what Paul says is, hey, so we know where we are always of good courage. Cheer up, Paul says. Be of good cheer, be of good courage. In fact, the word good courage is the idea to be confident, to be bold, to be of good cheer because there's a confidence about what God's doing in our lives. There's a confidence in which God is working in our life. There's a boldness because we know that God has got this and we can be of good cheer as a result. So in the gospel, if we live by the gospel and we're as children of God, we know today is just another great day in Jesus. Regardless of what's going on in the day, regardless of the, of the difficulties, when we look in light of the gospel, it's another great day in Jesus. It's another great day to live with him. And when we get our eyes off of Jesus and onto our circumstances, we get defeated and we lose our vision. But when we see clearly, it brings great joy. It brings great courage. And we find it every time. In fact, Paul is just telling us to cheer up. Hey, the Lord loves you. He loves you dearly. He has this. He's going to see us through so we can be of good courage. In fact, I often ask the question, how was it that Paul was so able to do so much? Why was he so, courage, so much courage and he kept preaching? I mean, they threw stones at him and they beat him. They left him for dead and he got up and went to the next town. How was it that he was of such courage? It's right here in our text. It's this idea of where in this, in this conviction that he had of what God had intended and planned for him. And he found good courage and he got up. And he, in fact, he even says right here, we are. It isn't just so, he's, he's saying it emphatically. We are always of good courage. In fact, if you think about Paul's statements in 2 Corinthians throughout the book, you find statements like this from Paul. I live in Christ. I belong to God. I can't die. I am destined for glory. I am being transformed. My home is waiting. My future is guaranteed. My security is perfect. I will win. I cannot lose. I belong to the shepherd. I am everything in Jesus because of Jesus. I am a child of God. Why was Paul so confident? Because these are his convictions. He fixed his eyes on the reality of the gospel in his life, the reality of the salvation that he had in Christ, the reality of what God had intended and planned and had set out for him. He set his eyes on there and he was of good courage because these truths are true for him. And to him, he expected the same from us. That's why he said, so we are of good courage. We are, because he expected us all to have that same conviction, that same desire, that if we walk by faith and not by sight, then we would be of good courage knowing these things to be true. 
In fact, I put up a slide here just to kind of, kind of show this, this idea that when we receive Christ and the gospel impacts us and we have this new life, eternal life leads to, to good courage. In other words, when I receive Christ into my life, it brings about good courage. There's, there's just another good day in Jesus, another day to walk with him, another day to see the God work and enlighten and, and do things that only he can do because he's given me a new vision. He's given me new insight. I can see him working every day. So eternal life leads to, to good courage. That's our faith. That's our gospel. That's what we believe. But courage is strengthened by conviction. In other words, as Paul understood these things, as he's telling us these things, he was convicted them of them to be true. His conviction drove his courage. He found good courage because he was convicted that the things that he understood in the text were true. He understood that he belonged to Jesus. He understood that he had new life. He understood that he had the power of God's Spirit working within him. He understood the reality of the gospel. He understood as he looked off into the last things in his eschatology, he understood that those things were true. And then as he fixed his eyes on those things and his conviction was strengthened, it drove him in his courage. And it should drive us too. That's why daily Bible reading is so important, to know what God has to say about the practical aspects of our lives, to hear what He has to say. Because see, good biblical instruction leads to conviction. It strengthens our courage. It strengthens our conviction. And when our conviction is strong, our conviction leads to confidence and passion. Why are so many people growing weak in their faith? because they don't have conviction, because they forgot what God has intended, where they may not believe, where they begin to sway in what they believe. Paul was encouraged so much by what he knew that God was going to do, that his conviction led to confidence and passion, that when we are convinced these things are true, it impacts the way that we live. It leads us to hope. It leads us to faith. It leads us to courage. It leads us to boldness in the way that we live. So we must ask ourselves, what are we looking at? What are your eyes set on? Are they set on the things that you can see? or the, Are they set on faith? In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, it says this, Though you have not seen him, that's referring to Jesus, though you have not seen Jesus, you love him. Let me ask you a question today. Do you love Jesus? Do you love him? And it says, though you do not now see him, you believe in him. Do you believe in him? Do you love him? Do you believe in him? And rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible. In other words, when you believe in him, and that's your conviction, you begin to rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible. You can't explain that joy. It's so strong because it becomes conviction. And, and, and then it says, and filled with glory. You begin to understand the work of the gospel in your life, the work of God, the work of the Holy Spirit. And it's, inex, it's inexpressible on the joy and the, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the peace that comes as a result. 
I get so excited. I want sometimes just to express the joy of what God is doing in my life. And sometimes I just don't have words to describe it, but I see God working in my life. With all the failures and the shortcomings and the difficulties that come in life, man, I still find the joy of God to be my strength. I still find His peace. I still find His comfort. I still find His mercy as the sustaining factors of my life that keeps me, that gives me each day is a great day because of Jesus. It's another day to live Christ. He goes on, he says, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Conviction leads us to courage. You see, when we, when we see clearly, we will always find courage, but we will also find my, our purpose to please Him. That not only when I see clearly will I find courage, but I will also begin to understand that my purpose is to please Him. We'll look at that in verse 9. So when we see clearly, we will find our purpose is to please Him. In verse 9, it says, <clears throat> it says there in verse 9, if I can get my vision on here with my glasses, I think I could probably be able to see it. So whether we are at home or away, we may aim to please Him. So when we walk by faith and we walk by sight, we find that we are of good courage and, we're at, and if we're at home in the Lord, we are away from the body. But if we're in the body, we're away from the Lord. And so he draws this pattern of, of, this, of this relationship. It's that continued idea of last week where if I'm, if I'm in the body, I'm away from the Lord. But if I'm out of the body, I'm with the Lord, which by the way, dear people of God, all this kind of ideas of, uh, of kind of soul sleep and purgatory and all that, this verse just destroys that. Because it says that when I'm out of the body, I'm going to be with Jesus. I may not have my resurrection body, but I'll be with Him. Praise God. Amen? I mean, how exciting is that? But here he goes on and he says that because we understand that, whether we're in our bodies or out, we make it our aim to please Him. The New American Standard uses the word ambition. The NIV uses the word goal, and here in the NSV, it's, it's the word aim. So the pattern of our lives, the goal of our lives, the ambition of our lives, the aim of our lives is to please Him. The reason that you are existing is to please Him. That's God's intent. And when we understand our passion, that is, understand our purpose, there is passion and power in Jesus and how we truly live our lives. What happens when we lose our vision of purpose? We become defeated. When we realize that we're thinking that only life is what we do here and we walk by sight, we lose our perspective of what God's intending and we find defeat. That's why so many Christians right now, we're, we're, we're confused and, and we're seeing all these things in the world that are, that are distracting us and pulling us one way or another. And it's discouraging us because we've lost the clear vision of our purpose. And our purpose is to live for Him. Our purpose is to please Him. And the church cannot lose its purpose. We can't lose this purpose of what God has intended. Why did Jesus say, seek ye first the kingdom of God? Why did Paul say, set your mind on the things above? Why did Peter say, set your hope fully on the grace that is to be brought to you? Why did John say, do not love the world or the things in the world, 
Why did they say these things? This is the outworking of the gospel in our lives. This is the power of clear vision when we understand that to seek ye first the kingdom of God is our purpose. That to, to set our hope fully on the, on the grace that is to be brought to us, when we understand that we're to set our minds not on the things that we see, but to set on our mind on the things above that where Christ is, that our minds are to be set there, that we're not to love this world, we're to understand that while we're in this world, we're, we're calling other one, others to this reality of the gospel for our lives. But we're not of this world and we're not for this world. You see, when we understand our purpose, that it is to please Him, we see Jesus clearly. Now, I've got to be honest with you folks. Man, I was, I've been convicted this week over this passage. And man, I was even just taking some time just like, Oh God, just forgive me for the major parts of my life when I began to just live for myself and not for Him. When my purpose was, was what I wanted, when my purpose was to, to accomplish the things that I wanted to, to accomplish and, and leaving Christ and leaving my God out of those things. But can you imagine as I was being convicted of this and I began to think about these things, I began to think, well, can you imagine a church who sees this clearly, that the purpose in which they exist is to please Him, what would that look like? If our purpose was, was just to seek first the kingdom of God, if our purpose was just to seek Jesus and please Him, what would that be like? Would there be an abiding going on in Jesus among the people of God here at NBC? That, 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 that we'd have a love of His Word and have a love of prayer, that the things that happen in our lives, we take it before Him in prayer. Would we, would we see a, a belonging in the body instead of just an association that, that we belong to one another by the Holy Spirit that dwells within us, that brings unity, that God has given us gifts that we would use to one another to encourage one another, to strengthen one another, that we would be bold in a world of chaos. We would be a clear, have a clear vision of His purpose to use us for His glory, that we might impact the world, that we would see people who, who are hurting and we would express love to them and share the good news of salvation, that we would be intentional in building our relationships with those around us, that we might share Christ with them. What would that look like? What would, how amazing would that be? I remember when I was living in Maine, I was up there in a little logging community, and, and I can remember uh, it was just a small church, and, and it was just the people are just so wonderful there. I, I miss that area. We spent, Lydia and I were there for a few years and, and ministering in that area. And I can remember some of the folks that coming, but I remember this one couple, Roy and June. They didn't know Christ. And they would come to church sometimes, and, and man, you could just see June just struggling with, with the gospel. God was just convicting her. And we began praying for her, and I was building this relationship with them. Roy was about 80, and June was about 70. They'd been living together for about 20 years. They didn't know Jesus. But man, they were just the sweetest couple you'd ever meet. And I began to build this relationship with them, and I remember one night, all of a sudden, I hear on my front door this just knocking. I answered the door and it was June standing there and she just said, Pastor, I'm ready to know Jesus. I want to receive Jesus into my life. I've never forgotten that moment. It's just so precious. 
And June came in and that night she received Christ. She didn't even tell Roy. She went home and told Roy what she did. And Roy goes, I want to receive Jesus too. I've been thinking about it. And they came right back to my house. And that night I led Roy to, to Christ and he received Christ into his life. The next morning, it was the beginning of hunting season there, which is a big deal in, in northern Maine. And they always had a hunter's breakfast, kind of the start of the day. And Roy and Jean were the key to this. I mean, they, they would serve. And, and June was just walking up and down and feeling Guy's coffee. And she would tell him, hey, I received Jesus last night. You know, I want to share with you about Jesus. And she was just so excited. And, and everybody that kind of ran into Roy and June, and they were just so respected in the community. But they were having people over just telling them about how she received Jesus in the life and how Roy had changed his life and, and what the gospel meant. Can you imagine if the church was like that? We would never have to take the water out of our baptism, would we? We would never have to, to worry about, are we going to have people who are going to be excited to serve? We'd never have to worry about all of those things because we're living with a purpose. And when we see clearly, we understand that our purpose is to please Him. One commentator in this, in this passage was talking about it because when they got into chapter 10, he started talking about judgment. And one commentator made the comment, he said, you know, it is possible to, to have a saved soul, but to live a wasted life. You see, one of the things I begin to realize is that, is that as I see clearly, as I'm made new and I have new vision, not only will, will, I, will I find good courage, and not only will I understand my purpose, but I will not want to waste my life. You see, for when, we, when he says in verse 10, it's, it's kind of a difficult verse for some of us. It says in verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is done for what is, uh, what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. You know, when you read that, you start thinking, hey, wait a second, I thought, I thought judgment was only for the unbeliever. Well, yeah, that's true. There is. There is the great white throne at the end of time when everyone will be judged whether they were in Christ or not. There is that judgment. And that's why it's so important as a believer that we share with others the reality of the gospel so they don't face that day. But there is also a judgment that is not about our salvation. It's a judgment whereby we stand before Jesus and he evaluates what we've done with our lives and with what he's given us to do. It says here that for what we've done, whether good or evil, what we've done in the body. So it's reference to this time, this place, where we're at right now. It is a judgment about what we've done, about God giving us all that we need for life and godliness, and how did we, how did we live? And that's where that commentator and what he said was so impressive because it made me stop and think it's possible to have a saved soul, but to have a wasted life. And man, immediately I just like, I don't want to have a wasted life. You see, what verse 10 is telling us is that, that we will stand before Jesus for what we have done with our lives. And when we stand before Jesus in that moment, in that time, we will immediately cease to care about the things of this world. All of a sudden, it will only matter what we have done. And I believe this. Do you, do you believe this? Do you believe there's going to be this, 
this time when we would stand before our Lord for the things that we've done. He's given us everything we need for life and godliness. He's given us everything we need to do the work. It's like, it's like what God has done is he's, by his grace and his mercy, he's delivered us. He's given us a new life. He's given us a new vision. He's endowed us with grace that we, we were just covered with his grace and his mercy. And now it's like he's saying, go live it. Go live it. Just go, go live it. Do you believe that? You see, I must live it. That's what I was convicted about this week. I was like, wow, how many times do I waste a part of a day where I waste these opportunities that God gives me each and every day? How many times have I wasted them? And that's why I have to remind myself of these things, to remind myself of what God is doing, to remind myself I walk by faith, not by sight that to put aside my fears, to put aside my, my anxieties, to put aside those things that I might step out by faith to see what God can do that only He can do. Man, I was so convicted this week because I don't want to miss living for Jesus. I don't want to miss out. I don't want to come to the end of my life and go, wow, I wish I would have lived for Jesus a little more. When I look at all of my life and I get, get done at the end of my days, am I going to look at the end of those times and I'm going to say, Wow, look at what I built, what I accomplished, and all those things. But yet there's this, this aspect where I never say, well, look how I live for Jesus. When I get to the end of my days, I want, to, I want to be able to say, yeah, there was moments of intense, horrible failure. There were times that I fell so hard. And there was yet, over the course of my life, this continual seeking and pursuing and learning and growing to abide in Jesus, growing to understand that I belong to the body of Christ, growing to understand that I have a purpose and that purpose is to please Him and how He uses me in this world and that one day I'll stand before Jesus and everything here will cease to be important. And what will matter is, did I, did I live for Him? You see, when, when we've been made new, when God has radically transformed us with the gospel of Jesus Christ, we begin to walk by faith, not by sight. We begin to walk after Him. And when we begin to see clearly, we understand that we will always find good courage. It's another great day to be with Jesus. We will begin to understand that our purpose is to please Him. It's not about my life and, and what I want and, and the selfishness that often comes with that but it's about seeking after Him and, and trusting Him and seeing God do things that only God can do. And then when I see clearly, I realize I don't want to waste my life. There is going to be a time where I'll stand before Christ. And I want to stand there and I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. I want to stand there knowing that I, by faith, took steps to learn and to grow in Christ, to live for Him. I don't want to have a wasted life. I want to have a life that counts. Let's pray. Father God, just speak to us this morning. Father, just teach us the truths of Your Word. May Your Spirit flow and move as He wills. May our hearts not be hard. May, Father, the calluses of, of our hearts, the calluses of our eyes, may they, may they drop immediately that we would hear what your Spirit has to say. So many times, Father, we look at things so critically that we don't hear truth. 
We hear our own truth. We hear our own ways. We hear our own purposes. And yet, Father, those things seem to never, they never seem to to change us and they never seem to grow us. It's when we understand the purpose in which you've created us. That, Father, you open up the truth of your word that we might be able to see clearly. That we are of good courage. Praise you, God, for that. That, Father, we live with a purpose and our purpose is we've been created for you. That you're the king and we're the servants. You're our God and we serve you. And then, Father, just that we want our lives to count. There's, there's, a, there's a time that is coming. There's a, there's a place, Father, that, that will come where we will stand before Christ and, for, and give account for how we lived our lives. May we, Father, be aware of that and that we live for you. Give us boldness to do that. Give us conviction that, Father, we would grow in passion and confidence in the way that we live our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.